Welcome back, everyone, to the PXP Let's Talk Success podcast. I'm your host, Dre, joined as always by my co-host, Paul. How are you doing today? Hey, everybody. I'm doing well. How's Hawaii? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you excited for Hawaii? I Abs- think you're going abs- there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Any um, plans on spam? They say you, you know spam's big in Hawaii. <laughs> I, I will probably not have any. Oh, well, that's not cool. I, I will watch. Have you ever seen watch. 50 First Dates with Adam Sandler uh, and Drew Barrymore? I believe so. Okay, well, you got to rewatch <laughs> it because it's it's big on there. Okay. Um, but, I, but, I, plan um, on, I plan to get some fresh fish, some, some seafood, of course. Yeah, you're going to swim with the sharks? I will probably swim and hope <laughs> I don't see any sharks. Just grab onto the fin. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Kobe said, if you ever see me in a fight with a bear, pray for the bear. So, uh-huh. <laughs> he said, if you ever see me in a fight with a shark, I'll punch that shark. Yeah, I'll punch that shark in the nose. That's what I always tell people. If you've never watched National Geographic, square up. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> when, when we're at Ironman races, you know, sometimes we swim in, in the ocean, right? Mm-hmm. And where you're at. And so I have this theory. If you look, if you're in the front or in you're in the back, or you look like you don't know how to swim, you look like that wounded fish. Yeah, like me. You're in danger. Yeah. <laughs> so just stay mid-pack. Just stay mid-pack. Right. Yeah, that's, that's where it's at. Um, all right, serious question. Why did the football stadium get hot after the game? I don't know. Because the fans left. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So that was Cricket's joke, everyone, um, for this episode. So hope you guys enjoy that. Um, let's move on to today's topic, though. Uh, today's topic is going to be a guest. Um, today we have with us a very special guest. Um, I hear he has a lot of belt buckles, um, is what I've been told. But everybody, welcome David Fisher to the podcast. <sighs> That's the crowd going wild. Great. Well, thanks for having me. I'm flattered that y'all asked. Yeah. How are you today? Good. Really good. Thank you. It's, Any- uh, it's a cold morning, but it's supposed to be warmer this after or this weekend, so it's all good. All right. Anything exciting happening with you? Are you fighting sharks? No, uh, no, no shark fighting, no bear fighting, uh, just uh, starting to kind of dig in and ramp up and get ready for the next season of training, the next season of racing. Absolutely. Well, good. Well, everyone, I'm going to let Paul take over um, per usual when we have a guest, and we'll see where things go from here. Hey, David, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Again, thank hey, you for having me. So a lot, of the, a lot of our listeners don't know who you are, what you've done, and that kind of stuff. Can you give yeah. us a quick overview of your uh, background? Yeah, sure. Uh, professionally, uh, Marine right out of college. Uh, so I was lucky enough to serve in the United States Marine Corps. So I spent eight years active duty as a Marine officer. Uh, got to do and see a lot of really neat things. Got to work with some just absolutely phenomenal people. So it was a great experience. Uh, and then I spent about uh, 14, 15 years with large publicly traded companies, predominantly in the high tech space. Uh, did some uh, regional sales, spanned it out into... Um, Continental sales and eventually got into international sales. And then now I spent about 14 years in the private sector doing anything from sales, sales leadership, and business transformation and transition. So I'd say professionally, really a rewarding and fun career. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been really blessed. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, personally, um, you know, I've always tried to stay active coming out of the Marine Corps. I uh, was always looking for something. So I've been a pretty avid multi-sport, multi-day uh, racer. Uh, and then most recently, I've kind of settled in and kind of honed in on mountain bike racing and I've really fell in love with long endurance mountain bike racing. And then very specifically, I had the opportunity to do the Leadville 100 in 2016 and then absolutely fell in love with it. Um, and it's a, it's a fun, challenging, uh, not only grueling event, but then it's, uh, it's one of those events you know, I always tell people is by far, for at least me, the hardest single day, single event course that I've ever done. And if you're going to do that course and you're going to be competitive and not be pulled from the course because they do have pretty aggressive uh, cutoff times, you got to train and you got to prep and you got to really be ready. So for me, the race is fun and the event is awesome, but really it's the lead up all the way up into that event, which is uh, which I find the most exciting. Yeah. Well, one of the things our listeners are going to learn as they continue to listen to this podcast is that you like to get your tail kicked. I do. And, and you don't <laughs> mind kicking your own tail. You don't mind having other people kick your tail. Well, let's, let's dive into that aspect a little bit more um, in your background, mm-hmm. right? So um, you did a good job of talking about your professional experience, but I want to go back to that military time. Okay. And that that kind of, uh, I'm sure before then you had some tenacity to you, but I'm uh, imagining that a lot of that added to that tenacity. Yeah. 
And, and you talked about being an officer, yep. but I think there's a little bit more behind the scenes of, of what really happened in that experience. Yeah, certainly, um, you know, long and hard fought process going into, into the military. And then I very specifically, you know, targeted in on the Marine Corps. And I don't think, and this is not bravado speak, you know, I'll speak somewhat biasly. I mean, mm -hmm. the Marines are the best. Uh, so as I looked at the other militaries, all in themselves, uh, certainly impressive. And I think anybody that serves our country, you know, deserves a tremendous amount of gratitude. And anybody that is willing to sacrifice and give up a part of their life, and in some instances put their life on the line, um, really aspirational that they do that. But I certainly was gravitating or I gravitated to the Marine Corps, not because people look at it and go, oh, that's the easy one to go do. You know, I think I gravitated it toward it was going to be a challenge um, and it was going to be hard. And it was something that you're going to have to, again, prep for uh, not only physically, but you've got to be really mentally prepared. And as soon as we got there, I mean, they made no bones about it on the officer training. Uh, they said legitimately, look in front of you, look behind you, look to your right, look to your left. One of you is going to make it. And we're all like, yeah, okay, we're all going to make it. And we started, I think our class, we started 350-ish, 360-ish or so. And I think we graduated 82 or 83. I mean, mm -hmm. so they were, they were pretty dead on right. Uh, so they'd gone through it enough. And then I, you know, gotten to see and do a lot of neat things um, in the Marine Corps. So my non-combat billets were finance, supply, and logistics. So I got to actually use my degree and really kind of dig into numbers. Um, and that was uh, certainly a growth part of my uh, adulthood and a growth part of my career. An opportunity to be a general's aide, so I took a diplomatic tour, mm -hmm. uh, which as a fairly senior lieutenant at the time was fascinating to be one-on-one -on -one with the general and very specifically supporting the general uh, and seeing how general officers and diplomats and politicians were making decisions and to be around that uh, and witness that and then be able to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with the general was very maturing uh, and a great education for me. And my combat billets were uh, infantry, parachute ops, and I served time with the Special Operations Training Group. So, again, a lot of it is really hard work, but certainly being in the right place at the right time at the right rank and the right billets open up and I performed well enough uh, to get some of those billets. So in the Marine Corps, uh, as a parachutist, pretty coveted role. Uh, I think most officers would tell you uh, that's a role that they would want to go after. Uh, there's not a lot of us. So again, I certainly had to work hard for it, but I had to be the right rank at the right time and the right location to get that role. But yeah, I, I don't I don't just I, I don't miss or I do miss the time in the in the corps, but I don't. Um, that's the right words I'm looking for. I don't uh, regret any time that I spent Marine Corps. It was a great experience for me. Yeah, and we had a conversation at one point. I mean, and you kind of glossed over. I right hear the special forces and, and you jumping out of uh, airplanes and yeah. so forth. I'd asked you at one point um, what the most times you jumped out of an airplane in one day. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, in a single day, my goodness, uh, we were actually doing an exercise called blow and shoot. So that's when you're, you know, you pack all your shoots up and you've got them ready and go. And I think in one day we'd done 20 something jumps mm -hmm. uh, when it was just an all day of up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, so again, great, great, great experiences. I used to tell people it was the, you know, for me, it was probably the best uh, job in the world. I mean, I got paid to camp, jump out of airplanes and blow stuff up. Uh, I mean, it was a pretty fun job. Uh, certainly a lot of seriousness that goes with that, of course. I'm not, uh, you know, making light of what we needed to do and the seriousness of it. But right. again, it was, it was really a fun, inspirational, um, and a really maturing experience for me. Yeah. And, and like, as you're in here working out with, uh, with uh, other members of the class, that kind of stuff, a lot of them, I mean, will tell stories about what people are doing. And, and when they hear that you've got a military background, they go, oh, yeah because of how you work out in here. And, and there's a, a work ethic that you bring. And, and I imagine that started or got formed either with w what you did with the generals, mm -hmm. watching that happen, or knowing that you've got to do things a certain way to jump out of that plane and be safe and mm -hmm. take care of details. Yeah, with, without a doubt. I mean, you know, certainly I learned a lot and grew a lot. And like you said, I probably had some aspects of my life that got honed in from my time in the military. But I'd say... You know, some of that is just innately who you are. And even now as a professional, you know, I carry a lot of those characteristics forward into, into my civilian life, whether it be, you know, as a dad, as a father, as a friend, as a brother, as a son, you know, as well as a colleague for the people that, you know, that I work with. And I'm always, you know, very careful as we want to 
you know, accomplish the things that we want to accomplish and we want to look at the results that we want to uh, achieve. For me, it's, it's not about the results. It's about the work and diligence and effort that you put in place. That's what matters. I mean, results for me are somewhat uninteresting. You know, when by the time you get a result, you know, a result is a, a specific time, yep. a specific measure, and it's unchangeable. There's nothing you can do with a result. You can learn from it, but you can't do anything with a result. There's a lot I can do with my training and my preparation for the months leading into an event. There's a lot that I can do to work with my teams to make sure that we're doing the right things, to get the right kind of activities, to get the right kind of business engagement, to get the results that we want to do to grow our business. There's a lot of things that everything centers around. Do the work, do the effort, put in the time. The results will come mm -hmm. if you do the right thing. So I do, I do hone in on, and you and I have had conversations, there are times where I do get fixated on the results. And you do a great job of pulling it back and going, okay, important, but it's like, oh yeah, focus on the efforts on what we're doing before we want to try to get those results. So yeah, I would say that is one of the primary catalysts of why I work the way that I do, both professionally and personally. Yep. And it's going to add to that, I mean, race day, Yep. the result, right? And you can not train and you can go get a result on race day. Can. It might not be the one that you want, right. but you'll get a result. Um, sometimes you can train really well and not get the result you want either. Yes. And, and race day is a, simply a snapshot in time of, you know, what's the environment like, what all other things, did you hit all the steps, did you have a good day? Um, usually the process tells you what you've got. Yes. You know in the training, you know in the process how good you are what your pacings are, what your fitness is like, you know where you're at. Whether yes. you're, if, if you're a runner and you're trying to qualify for Boston, you know going into that race whether you're going to do that or not, be able to do that or not. Agree. When you get there and let's say you don't hit that mark when, when you know your fitness is there, that's a snapshot in time. It didn't take away from what you did, right? Mm -hmm. it, it simply was a unfortunate situation on that race day right and that's that's what i hear you talking about in your personal life and and athletics and how you combine that philosophy of it's the process not just that one snapshot in time absolutely yeah absolutely agree and again that's why you know i really like the training aspect of getting ready for these events and again it cascades and it certainly mirrors into then my professional life as well and you and i our first year so the first year we worked together yeah, I mean, we didn't have a lot of time. I mean, mm -hmm. I think I came to you six uh, weeks prior. About six weeks <laughs> prior, and and we're like, hey, let's see what we can do. And yeah. and again, I think both sides of us knew we weren't going to get a lot, but I was intrigued by your process and your methodology, yeah. and going off on your part of you know the event is the event, mm -hmm. uh, and on the very first climb of that race at Leadville, I knew in that minute I was not going to get the day I wanted. Yeah. Well, let, let's be clear. We didn't have six weeks of training before Leadville. No, no, you no. And I you and I worked together for yeah. six weeks. Yeah, I had yeah. worked up prior to that. But yeah. yeah, you and I had gotten acquainted. And again, I was intrigued enough by you. I was like, okay, I'm going to at least see what this guy's got from guidance and advice yeah. and suggestions leading into that final six weeks. But again, to your mentality, uh, you don't always get the race that you want. Mm -hmm. You know, in life, you don't always get the result that you want. And, and you have one of two choices. You quit. Mm -hmm. You bag it in and you finish it up and you go back home. Or you hunker down and go, okay, this is not the day that I wanted to get. This is not the day that I expected. This is not the day that I trained for. But it's the day that I've got, so bear down, hunker down and go. And, and in Leadville, you get <laughs> you get 12 hours to do the race. And like I said, I knew on that first climb, this was gonna be a super long day. And it was humbling, because in that first climb, ended up having to get off the bike and walk. And I was like, oh boy this is going to be long. So I went from, I think I'm going to do this on that day to, I think I got to figure out how to now get under 12. And I finished at 11 hours, 55 minutes and 53 seconds. Uh, my daughter was at different TAs. God bless her, encouraging me and motivating me and getting me going. And then she's at the finish line waiting for me. Dad, you've got 15 minutes. I can see the text coming through. You've got seven minutes. You've got to hurry. And, and again, I finished, yeah. I accomplished, I got the buckle, which was the ultimate goal. I had some 
friends and family there that was exceptionally rewarding and we got the day we got we didn't get the day that i wanted but right. we persevered and we stayed with it yeah and that's a, that's a great point because a lot of people will have a goal going in and when they don't hit that goal they're they feel less than and on that day if you do what you can in that moment mm -hmm. i think that's a huge victory right right i mean even though it may not be what you plan it might not be what you wanted what you expected but you persevered and that's a lot a lot of life stuff happening inside there there's a lot of yes um, a lot of great things in that moment right that we use athletics to talk about real world stuff right yeah yeah totally agree i mean i would and again i, I was not embarrassed uh, coming across that finish line I and mean, i was watching the clock i'm like jesus 11:55. okay <laughs> so yeah. what I hope that I would have had the same reaction if I would have come across at 1201 and was not an official finisher and gone, okay, didn't get the day I want. To your point, always, I'm not a lesser person because of that. If you persevered and you tried and you gave everything you had, okay, that's fine. Yep. So I want to get, I want to get into eventually you and I and coaching and, and Leadville and that kind of stuff, but I want to go back. So we've got the military experience and special forces and jumping yep. out of planes and doing that. I'm gonna call it the dumb, crazy stuff. Yep. I, I like sitting in the seat in an airplane. Not, I'll, I'll stay there. <laughs> but uh, your athletic experience, your athletic background. Yeah. Know, let's talk a bit more about that prior to the cycling and the Leadville 100s, that kind of stuff. What What was that ramp up like? What was that world like for you? Yeah. So as you know, as a young man, high school football, um, hockey, downhill skiing. So always pretty active. Tennis. Uh, went into college. And I kind of thought half. Hardly maybe I'd play football in college, uh, and I looked at my body and looked at the guys that I'd be bouncing off of, and I thought, okay, this is this is not for me. So decided that was not going to be the pathway for me. Uh, and college, I kind of found endurance sports, uh, or they, they probably say they find you, mm -hmm. uh, and did some triathlons in college, and really found that I loved that aspect of it. Uh, graduated out of college, I went to the Marine Corps. So you're doing a different kind of physicality, uh, mm -hmm. so I kind of pulled out of the racing event, but was still very very active. Coming out of the Marine Corps, I uh, was looking for something to fuel that athletic side or that physical side of me. Uh, found mountain biking, found that I loved mountain biking, uh, started to do just local mountain bike racing, uh, eventually graduated and got into 24-hour mountain biking uh, just because I liked that long endurance aspect of it. Uh, got picked up and raced with Hayes Disc Brakes uh, for a number of years, just their grassroots team, uh, and by no means a professional. Um, and then about that time, multi-sport endurance racing started to come back into it. So it was uh, Primal Quest uh, were the big ones and Echo Challenge were the big ones. So these are multi-day, multi-discipline courses where it's you and a team of three other people, must be co-ed. They give you a topo map and they tell you to go. And then you and your team get to figure out, there's no course per se, but you and your team get to figure out Based on the terrain and based on the mapping, how do you want to go from the mountain bike section to the run section to the kayak section to the mountain climbing section? And then you work and you collaborate as a team. You are self-supported, so you have to bring all your own water, all your nutrition, all your own uh, water, or bring your um, filtration devices to make sure that it works. And it's a great aspect because it goes back to that team-oriented event, long endurance events for sure, because they're, again, the short races, standard races are 24 hours long. Expedition races are seven to ten days long, and the mentality is, you can sleep anytime you want to. If you're going to be competitive, you know, in the 24 to 48 races, you don't sleep at all. You just press straight through if you can and stay safe. Longer races, um, you know, you have to sleep, right? You can't go completely with no sleep for days on end. That's just not going to work. So the longer races, you also then have to not only manage your nutrition, manage your hydration. Uh, then you also have to manage your sleep and what does that look like. And then you're managing four strong personalities. Typically, those racers, you know, we're all competitive. Uh, so then how do you manage the dynamics of a team? Because you're going to have time to get tired, crabby, sore. I don't want to be here. And then you're managing that. Mm -hmm. um, for me, that, that proved to be a pretty young man's or young person's sport, I would say, by the time I started late 40s, early 50s. I found I just I couldn't do that. and I couldn't sustain that the way that I wanted to. So I kind of fell back into it. Uh, and again, honed in on the mountain biking, uh, got back into the mountain biking as a single discipline and then fell into, like I said, the hundred mile mountain bike races and then fell into, uh, Leadville back in 2016. So mm -hmm. pretty wide variety of long endurance events, both team and as well as individual, uh, individual events mixed in. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So that, that background, I, wa I wanted to go there because as we start talking about what you've been doing in Leadville, a lot of people will hear that 
and think that's what you've been doing for a really long time mm-hmm. in all of our stories, right? To, if we've done some big event, there's always a crescendo, so to speak. We've built into those things. We've, we've started smaller and we've built into fitness and we've built into making mistakes and uh, whether it's an injury mistake or whether it's a training mistake or we missed a goal. And then we build up and then people look at us right now and they're like, oh man, I can never be like that. Yeah. Because they see that snapshot and shine, but they don't see behind the scenes of what it took to get us there. Right. Yeah, certainly I think like most athletes, uh, I've had bumps, bruises, ouchies that, that come up. Um, I've had three knee operations on my right knee, one knee operation on my left knee. I've had reconstructive surgery on both feet, broken bones, uh, damaged nerves, um, multiple broken ribs, multiple concussions. I mean, just all the ouchies that go along with it. Uh, and I'd imagine that happened a long time ago when maybe you're jumping out of planes. No, I mean, thank God. I mean, knock on wood, I never had any big boo-boos jumping out of airplanes. Uh, that, that was the safe part of your sport? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe that was. And actually, parachuting is actually fairly safe, right? Yeah, it is yeah. It is a super fun of that. No, I blew my knee out originally downhill racing. Uh, so tore my ACL, MCL, LCL all at once. Uh, so we're going to do it, do it big. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that took me out of competitive racing uh, senior year in college and pretty much ended, I'm not going to say ended my racing career. I was by no means going to go to the Olympics. I wasn't that good, but ended it for that part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, not only transitionally, as I got older, when we talked about the adventure racing, um, I have rheumatoid arthritis, uh, which is not great. And I will tell you that that paused my athletic abilities for probably three years. Uh, so I'd say probably late 40s and early 50s. I have to go back and kind of think about it, where I couldn't do a whole lot. My doctors and I were trying to figure out what's going on with my joints, what's going on with the discomfort, why don't I, you know, why can't I perform the way I want to perform? And again, just outright not feeling great. And it took us a couple of years to get that dialed in. And as you can imagine, somebody that's used to being very active, and I would say, you know, my physicality is part of who I am, not from a bravado sense. It's just who we are, right? It gets into your body as well as into your mind and all of a sudden go from high levels of activity to now you can't. And then trying to find that out. I mean, it was, there were some long, long days when my poor mm-hmm. wife had to put up with me hanging around the house and not knowing <laughs> what to do versus going on my bike and going riding or going running or, or going mountain climbing or going to do whatever. Yeah. But we had to persevere and figure out what was wrong and what could we do to get me back to where I wanted to be. And I had a great doctor who said, no, we're going to get this figured out. You're way too young to be sedentary. That's not who you are as an athlete. That's not who you are as a person. We're going to get this figured out. And he stayed with me. And the rheumatoid arthritis is annoying now. Uh, mm-hmm. It's something I've got to manage and I can deal with. Nine times out of ten, it's fine. Uh, there are days that it, uh, that it creeps up and gets to be annoying. And you just kind of persevere and you push through and go, okay. That's today. Mm-hmm. It might last for a week as the flare-ups go, but this is not the way that I'm going to be. So I'd say I don't think I'm any different than anybody that's you know a 58 and a half year old athlete that's tried to stay at it. You're going to get bumps, you're going to get bruises, you're going to get setbacks, you're going to have recovery time frames. Um, the objective, even kind of going back to the event, is to go back to what you're trying to do. Focus on the activities. You'll push through those uncomfortable periods if you believe in the process and you believe in the steps that you're going to take you'll get your way through it. Yeah. Focusing on what you can do versus what you can't do in those minor, call them minor, sometimes that, that pain is pretty significant. Yeah. But it's minor in terms of it's not months or years on end. Right. In those scenarios. Yeah, and most of us, um, you know, again, as a, as a more seasoned athlete, uh, you know, we know the difference between good pain and bad pain. Mm-hmm. You know, the bad pain you got to listen to. And I will tell you that, and again, at 58, I'm listening to the bad pain more, right? And much more in tune to this is not okay. Uh, and if it's not okay, um, you know, I certainly have found out as you're older, your recoveries are longer. You know, I don't bounce back so fast anymore. I don't recover as fast anymore. So getting hurt or having something that is nagging that then goes to lagging that then goes to chronic, that's a problem. Um, and you've been really good about making sure of saying, is this a problem or is this just annoying? So identifying what that differences between the good pain and the bad pain. And the good pain, that's where that mental fortitude and that mental toughness comes in to go, okay, this is this is uncomfortable, but we can push through this. Uh, totally different. But you gotta you have to be able to understand the two differences. Because again, it, as as a master's athlete, uh, and again, not because I'm good, because we're older. Right. <laughs> as a master's athlete, you've got to listen to your body. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would argue that everybody needs to listen to the body, but as you're younger, you can get away with being less diligent about that because your body will repair a little quicker. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, you can't. You're right. As a younger athlete, you can't ignore it. Uh, so yeah, you're absolutely right. But as a as a as an elder athlete, yeah, you, the consequences of not paying attention to it go from oh, this is gonna be uncomfortable for a couple of weeks to now you got to take a year off because you simply were not listening to what your body's telling you. Yeah. And that didn't happen in one workout. That happened over a period of time where you were accepting the pain or expecting, well, this is normal. I'm supposed to hurt when I do this. And, right. And really just being undisciplined and paying attention to your body. Agree. Agree. Well, let's let's talk a little bit more about uh, you and I and our relationship, yeah. coach athlete relationship, and uh, Leadville and and all those pieces. We we shared earlier that uh, the first time we met was six weeks before uh, Leadville when you came in and said, "Hey, I've been training at this level and I've got level coming up. Uh, what can we do in these six weeks to get me uh, more prepared for this?" Right. Remember my response. I can tell you, what, I might not have said it out loud. I, tell you what, what's going on my I don't head. remember specifically. I'm, I'm like, six weeks before Leadville? Yeah. What? <laughs> uh, and I, I'm sure I was would have tried to um, uh, set some sort of expectation that we weren't going to have major strides no. in those. But there are some things in terms of trying to shore some things up and make sure of where things were. And my biggest concern was that you not get hurt because mm-hmm. uh, you came you came in feeling good. Yeah, I didn't want to start working with it. And then six weeks later at Leadville, and like, oh my blank hurts or whatever that body part was. So that was, right. that was my biggest struggle. What do you remember about that, those first few interactions? You know, I remember, so one, you and I got introduced because we were doing the sweat test. Um, mm-hmm. So working with uh, Heather Fink, you know, to really trying to dial in on that nutrition piece of it. Because again, as I'm getting older, I mean, and certainly nutrition is always important regardless of the age of it. As I'm getting older, that nutrition is playing a bigger and bigger and bigger part, not only in just my daily life, but in the racing. So I was really trying to figure out what do I need from a nutrition sense to really sustain and perform the way that I want to. So we had that interaction. Uh, and again, that first one was really good. So you're right. It wasn't coming into the mindset of, hey, I've been training really hard for at that point a year. You know, I'm expecting we're going to see miraculous power lift in the next six weeks. It was more of, hey, I'm really intrigued, really interested, great engagement uh, with this guy over at PXP. Let's see if I can't sharpen the saw just a little bit. Maybe we can just hone in on a couple of things to try. Maybe he can help me think about, you know, some things outside, which I'm thinking about right now. So it was more of between you and Heather, making sure that we're getting the nutrition dialed in, making sure that we're getting, you know, all the asset or all the formats of the race and the race prep ready during that six weeks. It wasn't, hey, I'm going to come from, you know, where I'm at in my power today, and we're going to see a 25% surge and lift in the next six weeks. It was never that. It was always, hey, I want to get to know Paul here. I want to get to understand his program. Six weeks can give me a good mindset and understanding. Could we work together? Mm-hmm. Could I understand his methodology? Uh, not from the perspective of, oh, my God, we're going to see miraculous or huge and significant lifts in six weeks. Uh, and that wasn't the case. Yeah. And, and the other aspect that comes to mind when we first met there was talking about a not 20-year-old athlete and how, right. do we, how do we train that body and make it sustainable. Yep. Right. And we were talking about, you know, do you do – hard power stuff or do you go longer stuff and, and you know think more thinking more of the aerobic side or we do do more power stuff and what should be happening we're trying to figure out your body's recovery times and all right. those sort of things yeah and, and we learned we learned a lot actually i think you and i probably even connected it was either right pre or post lutzen uh which is end of june so it's the second mm-hmm. no it is the last saturday in june which gives us about six weeks so it probably was right around that time frame into Leadville. Um, and I think that was the final year that I kind of looked at Lutz and although I love that race of that may not be the best timing mm-hmm. for me again, as a, as, as now getting to be a master athlete, because again, by the time now I recover after a hundred mile race, which are going at race pace, I don't need five to seven days to recover. I'm probably getting closer to needing 10 to maybe 14 days to fully recover. And now we got four weeks till Leadville, but I need a two week taper down. So now you and I have a two week block. Right. So learning and understanding, you know, what worked when I was 45, 48 and 50 probably is not going to work when I'm 58. And how do we make those adjustments into mm-hmm. it? Um, and then also taking a look at, you know, you've been really good about making sure of, you know, the, it's that proverbial three legged stool. It's how do you feel? What's your heart telling you? What's your power telling you? You know, all three of those combined in effort are the combination of how and what you can do from a training as well as from a racing perspective. Uh, so, again, getting those aspects of that mentality dialed in and, again, the philosophy that you and I were working on really helps set the stage in that first year to then 
what was that first full year that, that we were going to actually work together? Mm-hmm. What was that going to look like? Yeah. And that one we did make some pretty significant changes. I mean, I could feel, you know, through that entire year, my body getting stronger, my body getting more flexible, my core and trunk becoming more stable, my balance becoming more stable, all of which then correlated into stronger and more effective, uh, more effective biking. Yeah. From a coaching perspective, I, I felt like I was cheating being able to have six weeks to really no expectation on that first Leadville. Got to see what that data looked like, what your performance was. And then we come up, uh, come after that race, we got some recovery, and then we start looking at a, you know, 11-month block of um, periodization there of trying to get into that next race. It's right. almost like cheating. I had, I had a cheat sheet of <laughs> seeing what, what happened prior to that. Yeah. A lot of fun. Um, so what are some of the, some, some of the things that uh, changed for you uh, in terms of the training, right? So, you know, your training prior to us meeting, we've got that six-week block. We took the, you know, I think we took uh, six or eight weeks where it was relative downtime. We focused on some strength stuff after that. Yeah. Really trying to get a good solid base. And then, you know, over the winter, we started ramping up the, the cycling and, and maintaining the strength stuff. What do you remember? What what was some of the uh, things that come to mind just as I talk about that? What was different for you? Yeah. I say from um, the planning perspective, you know, very specific on the biking, it was great to have somebody that I could rely on and say, Paul, here, here are the objectives, here are the, the results that I want to see come out of this. This is what I'd like to be able to achieve, you know, a year from now or coming into that second weekend in August. And then having you go back and then take a look at not only where I have been and what I have done, but then, okay, what are, what's it going to take to get from here to here and what does that look like? So relying on somebody that I have a tremendous amount of respect for and a tremendous amount of confidence in to build a cycling program tailored to my goals and what I'm trying to accomplish. You know, so instead of me trying to figure that out and try to work that out solely on my own, it was great to have a partner that I could now come to. And instead of me trying to create that plan, I could lean into you as the proverbial expert and now you create that plan and you and I talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you never once came in and said, here's the plan, David, go. It was, hey, here's what I'm thinking about. Does this fit? Right. And does this work? Uh, and even within those moments and even during those periods of time, you and I making adjustments throughout that plan. Mm-hmm. So building the blocks, you know, for that actual bike training program, tremendous relief for me. Because then that's one aspect I don't have to try to go figure out. I can rely on an expert. Making sure that I'm now very focused in on the whole athlete. You know, it's not just about being a cyclist. You know, it's about being a whole entire athlete. So again, you and I always talk about it. You know, six pack abs are super cool in spring break, but it's not everything. It's not about your abs. It's about your trunk. You know, yeah. It's about your stability. It's about your balance. Um, those are the important things. Do those things. You'll, you might get a six pack ab, yeah. but don't worry about your six pack ab. Worry about getting this strong. Um, so again, you building the program. And again, the way I've described it with even other people, because I've encouraged other people to come here and try this. They're like, oh, my God, I couldn't come in a class with you. I'm like, nobody's paying attention to me in the class. Mm-hmm. Everybody's paying attention to themselves. You do a great job of taking everybody that you've got, your triathletes that are very targeted on a very specific event, to somebody recovering from an injury, to high school kids learning about mm-hmm. their bodies and trying to get into athletics, all the way straight to just a middle-aged person trying to find just movement and staying flexible and staying active with no events in place at all, you're able to kind of cross those chasms across your class, regardless of what all those differing goals are, everybody's working at their own intensity, everybody's working at their own level. So you're giving me that platform and you're giving me that foundation of, here's what, here's what I think you need to work on, here's where we think we need to go, here are the things you should probably focus on, and then that combination of pulling it in. But you do a great job of ultimately going, but David, you gotta do the work. Right. David, you gotta find the fatigue. David, you gotta find those points of failure. Um, and then you're also really good about going, listen to your body. You know, there's points of failure which are good and there are points of failure which are not good. Um, so again, what I like is I don't have to solely figure all that out of myself. I now have a partner that I get to work with and a partner to come back and coach me. Yeah. And then you're, you're hitting on to, uh, I need to hire you to talk about my coaching philosophy. <laughs> that was, that was very good. But uh, I'm not a dictator in the coaching philosophy. You're not. Um, that's, um, I think coaches who do that, you know, they're, they're good people and they're, they're well-intended, but I think they are overstepping what they really know because that's assuming that I know it, it, what your life outside of here is, right? that all the stress is going on, um, your schedule, how I can feel how your body's feeling. 
I can't feel those things. I don't know those things. Right. So I've got to teach you. I've got to work, work with you. I've got to partner with you to share what I want you to do from the coaching perspective. And then you've got to figure out how to put that into your world. Yes. Life does happen. Things pop up. You, know, you miss a workout. What happens? Do you bring it forward and double up? No. It just happened. It's gone. And, and there it is. But that's some of the stresses. And, and a lot of people will uh, freak out because they missed a workout. They didn't check the box or they missed a box. And, right. Um, teaching people that that's okay and teaching people that when you're feeling sore, what kind of sore? Where is it at? That's a, that's a great uh, ability. Yes. Now, one of the phrases that I use is smart jocks only, right? You got to be able to think. It's not just don't be that blockhead trying to run through the wall. Why are you running through the wall? What's the right. best way to get through that wall and, and those pieces? So thank you for, for sharing that and adding to it. That uh, makes me feel good that my coaching philosophy is actually being heard. It's great. <laughs> And a great, I am coachable. <laughs> a great way to see that in practice. But as we let's let's talk about your um, our fir- first full season going into Leadville. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember right, we had some forest fires during that race. <laughs> we we did. Yeah. yeah. So that was 2021, I believe, was our first one. That mm-hmm. six week into it. So I get out to Leadville. Actually, it's up into Winter Park. About 10 days before the race to kind of acclimatize, get my body ready, uh, get my head ready. Uh, it's great because I can work from there. I've got a very flexible job, so I don't ever feel like I'm totally disengaged from work as well. And I distinctly remember, you know, there were, one, just a ton of fires around that Winter Park, Copper Mountain, Keystone, and Leadville area. And the Saturday before Leadville, I was up in Winter Park going out for a training ride, um, and the streetlights never went off because there was just so much smoke in the air. And again, this is where, you know, the blockhead of me comes out. Uh, it was like, Paul's got training on the schedule. I'm going to go train. Let's uh, go do it. It doesn't matter if it's black out here. I'm, <laughs> I'm breathing all this soot and ash. It's yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I, I went out and trained. And, and then even more of a blockhead, I think you had a 90-minute uh, session on there. And I told you that I had clean the hill syndrome problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got into a hill, which I knew wasn't going to take me 90 minutes. It takes me closer, fully up and down about two and a half hours, but it gets me up to 11,800 feet. And I probably should have talked to you ahead of time and just said, hey, this is what I'm going to do. So yeah, the combination of the smoke plus the combination of I've more than doubled the time on the bike that I was supposed to, probably not my brightest or best moment uh, a week before Leadville. Uh, so yeah, the, the weather was, um, the weather and the air quality was just horrific. Uh, it cleared up a little bit uh, coming into the following week, but even the pros, uh, were slower that season. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of the pros are, you know, the winning times now are, you know, right at that six hour mark. Uh, I think a couple people may be broken in that 558, but generally in that six to 602, 605 range. And even the pros, I think, were finishing that race that year, 620, 25, 30. Yeah. So again, marketably off for professional athletes. Uh, and that was that year where it was just chaotically hard. Like I said, I knew that first climb that it was not going to be the day. And all day, just I could feel my lungs getting tight. I could feel the wheezing set in place. Again, blockhead move. Uh, my daughter yelled at me, God bless her, while I was out there. I didn't bring my inhaler with me, so I had no rescue inhaler with me. because so I was like, ah, I don't need my inhaler. I'm great. Uh, yeah, I needed my inhaler. So I just had to suffer all day long. But again, it was, it was that perseverance. And to me, that's where, that's where fortitude and character comes out. Yeah, it would have been easy yeah. to quit. But you don't. And, and even, and I, and the mentality of it is I'm not necessarily trying to accomplish this just for me, although I, I, I don't want to back off on a goal. And things that go through my head when I'm really uncomfortable. And, and again, where it would have been simply easier at one of the checkpoints to tell my daughter, hey, let's pack the bike up and go home. It was, I have sacrificed for this, but more importantly, my wife has sacrificed. She has put up time. She has let me train the way that I want to train. She's given me freedom to the way I want to train. She is invested in this. My daughter's out here. She's with me as well. My brother and my nephew uh, were out there with me as well. You know, these people are sacrificing to support me. I cannot, because I'm a little bit uncomfortable now, and that uncomfortableness go away an hour after the race. Mm -hmm. I have to stay with this. It's not fair to them to do this. So those are the motivations I get when you're in those dark moments that we all get as athletes. And I tell people all the time, even the pro athletes, they finish hours ahead of me. They're racing hard. Mm-hmm. They're racing to their nth degree, just as I'm racing at my nth degree, although I'm not going as fast as them. We're all in the, we all have those points of doubt. We all have those points of concern. We all have those points of pain. 
It's who can push through those and get through those are the ones that are going to persevere and go through. So I, I think less about what I'm going through, and I think more about the people that have supported me, the people that have surrounded me, the people that have coached me. Mm-hmm. They're sacrificing to get you to that finish line. You can't give up on them. Yeah, and I, I bring that up. You know, talk about that perseverance with the air quality as you're writing. But I remember you you got home and we're talking about it, and and you were. Now, you were disappointed uh, in, in your performance that day. And we're, we're talking about things, and, and, I, and I wasn't there to see the air quality. Um, but you're telling me that you're coughing up some black stuff, even a few <laughs> days afterwards. And then it starts dawning on me. I'm like, if he's still coughing that up now, how did he? That happened on race day. Or that happened in those places. And so your performance, what it was, happened in spite of your lungs not being there. You didn't have your rescue inhaler. You had all this other stuff going that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a tough day. I mean, it was just one of those tough days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I knew it was going to be a tough day within the first, that was probably an hour, hour and a half of the race. Uh, so yeah, it was a tough day. Uh, cough and hacking all day. The deeper I got into the race, the sore the lungs got, mm-hmm. the shallower my breathing became. Um, and, and again, at the finish of the race, I mean, I had my Apple Watch on. Also, I looked down at it and I'm like, Oh, pulse ox of 83. Mm, that, that might be another reason why I'm not quite right. going as fast as I think I am. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was just, again, one of those just really tough days. And, you know, as, as I talk to people about, you know, the difference between, you know, endurance athletes, it's not just about being physically strong. I mean, you can get physically strong. Uh, to me, the other aspect of, you know, I think some of your best endurance athletes that also cascade into all aspects of your life is mentally tough, Mm -hmm. Uh, physically strong as well as mentally tough. Because you can be super strong physically. And if you don't have that mental toughness, when you're uncomfortable, you're going to back off or you're going to quit. When it seems impossible, you're going to relent and you're going to give in. Give me that athlete. I want to be that athlete that no matter what's thrown at them, no matter how uncomfortable they are, as long as it's good pain. Right. I'm going to persevere and I'm going to push until I simply can't anymore. you got to have that mental toughness and that mental fortitude. And to me, that's just not the physical aspect of it. It carries over to all aspects of your life because there's times when your personal life is not great, right? There are times when maybe your financial life is not perfect. There are times that maybe your professional life is not going the way that you want it to. We all have choices at those times of our life to either persevere, push, and adjust or bag it in and give up. Uh, and I'm I'm of that mindset of it's not okay to bag it and it's not okay to give up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so I've, I've pushed this a little bit. It's almost like beating a dead horse on, yeah. on that aspect. But I'm doing this for a reason for our listeners. They're going to look at you of all you've done, your background, and they're going to put you on this pedestal. And they're going to be, David can do that because David's got, and whatever comes to their mind, that, that's what David's got. I'm of the opinion, I agree with them, that you are on a pedestal. But we all have that ability. Right to be able to persevere and grow and, and push into some of those discomfort, uncomfortable places. I made up the word discomfort. Did you hear that? Those <laughs> uncomfortable places. Um, what advice would you give them of how to do that or how to improve that? Yeah, so when I, I appreciate the compliment. I, I don't think I'm on a pedestal. I tell people all the time, I'm just a normal hack athlete. Right. I love what I do. Um, I've been very blessed to be able to do the things that I do, but no, I'm not on a, I'm not on a pedestal. I'm like everybody else. I'm just trying to figure it out and I'm just trying to keep going. Um, you know, I would say, you know, any advice on it, I even give it to, you know, some of the young, uh, professionals that I mentor coming out of college or just young people that come to me and looking for mentorship or even just other athletes. You got to put the work in. You have to put the work in. I mean, there's no shortcuts to it. And again, and that means, and again, I hate to sound like I'm preaching, that goes to all aspects of your life. You have to put the work in. Um, I've, been a, I've had an exceptionally blessed professional career, both in the military as well as, you know, as a civilian. And by and large, I've gotten to do the things that I've wanted to do. I've been able to accomplish the things that I've wanted to accomplish because I've put the work in. Mm-hmm. Nobody gave it to me. Nobody settled in on it. Nobody passed it. It was because I put the work in. Um, and, and I made a decision, you know, even coming into the Marine Corps, and again, not from a bravado sense, but just from a mindset and mentality, nobody was going to outwork me. Mm-hmm. Might be smarter, might be faster, might be more powerful, might be whatever. 
nobody's going to outwork me. Uh, and I don't mean that from a Neanderthal statement of, uh, we're just going to be in a drive, at least I'm just going to push my way through a brick wall. No, it's about working smart, but you've got to put the time in. Mm -hmm. um, so I believe that in everything that I've been able to accomplish, both personally, professionally, athletically, it's because I put the time in. You know, I put the effort in. Uh, when you talk about those times in our class where I want you to push to failure, and then you get that in your head and you're going to go, you're going to push through failure. I remember distinctly once, you're having us do push-ups. You're like, I want you to push to failure. Go to failure, go to failure, go to failure. If you have to go to your knees, go to failure. And you were pushing us and pushing us. And you're like, and you finish it, and you're like, all right, now do a push-up. I got zero push-ups in. And I'm like, well, that's failure. And I was grumbling. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you asked me at the end of class, you're like, how many did you get at the end? I went, I, I had zero. Ah, that was it. Yeah. And you're like, some others maybe got whatever the number was. And, mm -hmm. and that was the difference. Put the work in. There is no shortcuts to it. If you put the work in, by and large, the results will take care of themselves. Yeah. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie this back to something you said early on when you got uh, lucky or right place at the right, at the right time with the um, parachutist. The, with the parachutist and with the, the work with the generals and so forth. Yeah. Um, I, I don't believe that's really the case for you. I think there was a lot of hard work, and the, the harder you worked and you know, put yourself in a certain situations, the more opportunities people tend to get in life and in athletics, the, better, the more goals you make and that kind of stuff. That's where I, that's what I hear you talking about. Uh, yeah, I'd say yeah, I'd say yes and no. You know, I think the Midwest humble side of me says no, just put the work in, right? And mm -hmm. nobody gives you anything. Um, if I take the humbleness off, and I don't want to come across as arrogant, um, yeah, I mean, being a Marine parachutist, yeah, I did work hard for it. Mm -hmm. uh, there is no doubt in my mind I worked hard for it. Now, had I not been the right rank at the right location at the right time, and had that billet not opened up. It wouldn't matter how much I worked. It just wasn't going to come true. But because I had worked so hard, because I got the right endorsements, because I had the right training, because I was where I needed to be, when the location was right, when the billet became available, and I was one of the options that they could choose, I was there and I was ready. Right. So it worked and it was successful because I had, again, go back to your very first question, because I had put the work in ahead of time. Yeah, I worked really hard to get that, uh, but it was, again, because of the work that made the opportunity open up. Mm -hmm. And then even on my professional life, yeah, same thing. I've worked hard in every role that I've had. I've been lucky to, again, move my career that I've, the way that I've wanted to go, both with publicly traded companies as well as privately held companies, and I've been able to move my career. And yes, opportunities have opened up because I've put in the work, because I've had the right education because I've gotten the right experience to put me in a position to be the best one, the best qualified person to take those roles. Yeah. And so I, I think I've got you set up now for what I want to do to you next. You ready for this? <laughs> I can't wait. You ready for this? I can't wait. Okay, so we've talked about your, your military experience and, and the hard work that went into there and the opportunities you had because of that hard work. We've talked about your athletics ability and same things there, how hard you worked, um, achieving goals, not achieving goals, um, persevering through things, working hard, all that kind of stuff. Now let's come into our training right now because we've got mm -hmm. Leadville coming up here in, um, in my world about three blocks from now. Right. <laughs> right. So we're, we're at about 18-ish weeks. Um, uh, for, for you, we're using some six-week blocks just because of schedule and because of uh, life stuff going on, right? So we had a conversation this morning where mm -hmm. we're coming into things and, and you started a conversation with, um, I'm riding our road X watts for a period of time and and that's we're almost there if i want it, they tell us that we've got to write a certain watts for a certain amount of time and we can do leadville in under nine hours and and that's one of our our goals right there right and so remember that conversation i do yeah you want to try to summarize <laughs> that conversation uh embarrassingly i will uh because you're asking <laughs> uh so but it's a, it's such a great reminder and again it was one of those aha moments because you were doing to me exactly what i would hope I would do with somebody that I'm working with, you know. So again, it's that mind shift set, and I and again, that's where I've got. And it's, again, it's a great reminder for me: don't focus on the results, focus on the process. Mm -hmm. uh, don't focus on that specific number. Believe in the steps that you're taking to get what you want to do. Um, so again, we were we're targeting a very specific number at a macro level. My goal is to do Leadville in a sub nine hour. Um, and I do think that is an achievable goal that we are working toward. My Masogi uh, that I'm working toward, uh, which is a, 
uh, ancient Japanese practice of setting an insurmountable goal and insurmountable goal in front of yourself is 723.46. Um, that is the winning time at Leadville last year for 50 to 59 year old age group as a professional rider who rides for Oakley that has that time. He has no idea who I am, but I got a target on him. Mm -hmm. I'm going to chase him down and I'm going to train like I'm going after him. 723.46 seems pretty daunting, but yeah. I'm going to train like I'm going after 723.46. Yep. That's my target. So for me to come in and have that wavering moment to go, here's that target that I'm shooting for, and have you actually correctly question that and go, that's not the number. That's not where you're going to be. You're going to be past that number and have you go, oh my God, absolutely. Yeah. We're going to be, we're, tar we're not targeting that number. What we're targeting is, this is what we're trying to accomplish. Now let's focus on the process. We're going to blow through that number right. now that I think about it. So that conversation was a great, again, great reminder for me and why you know, I'd like to think I'm a better than fair average, you know, leader in my professional life. You know, you've reminded me of that great aspect of don't focus on the results, focus on the process. If you focus on the process and you believe in the methodology, the results will take care of themselves. Uh, so again, it was a great reminder for me this morning and you know, hit me in the head like a two by four as soon as you said that going, that's not the number. Yeah. And, and from, from my perspective, what I saw, you had this target, this number of where you're at and, and you were proud of it and, I, and I'm glad you're proud of it because you're ahead of schedule of where you thought thought you were going to be right. right and so you're like hey we're almost there and and, and I'm like uh-huh we're starting this block and by the time we get through here so many times we set limiters on ourselves right and that's the piece that I really want to uh, share with our listeners is that they've heard your story and they put you on this pedestal and yet we all set limiters on ourselves yes no matter where we're at along that continuum of fitness there's so many times when we see this number and we're like, oh, I, if I can only get to this number and that's where we're at. And, and we set that goal there when we really have so much more potential beyond that. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and again, that's why today was such, you know, this morning in that conversation, because I did, I looked at that number last night. I was like, oh, yeah, can't wait to talk to Paul <laughs> and got in and it was like, okay, that was good. That's not the point. Uh, and that's not the limitation. Um, and, and again, I think I've been fortunate enough. Um, I've not generally put those limitations that I've had in place, you know, my entire life. I've not looked at it and said, oh my God, I can't possibly do those things. It was, okay, how do you do those things? What am I going to have to do differently in order to make that happen? Not, oh my God, I can't take that. You know, at a macro level, you know, the other thing I would always share with people is be that version of yourself that the eight-year-old looks at you and is in awe at what you've done. Mm -hmm. And the 80-year-old is really impressed and really proud of you. You know, so that's those aspects that I've tried to, and me, that helps remove those limitations. But as much as I think I've tried to live my life of not removing those, it's great having a coach and a mentor that I can lean on, because even I fall into that, yeah. that fallacy. Oh, I hit that number and have you go, eh. great, great job. Yes. <laughs> great but job. not what but, we're trying to do. Yeah. yeah. So it was a great reminder and a great aha for me too. Yeah. And that's, you know, for our listeners, that's, as you look at life or you look at your training or you're looking for somebody to help mentor you along those things, that's what I believe my role is with you. Yeah. Um, simply giving you a workout and, and setting up a, a block with you and then saying, go do this. Uh, I feel like I'm cheating you. Yeah. yeah having that accountability, having that encouragement, you know, doing more than just the physical piece of it. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's, that's one of the things I think is really critical that sometimes we miss in life. And we set those limiters on, and then we get into the cages. We can't get out of it. We can't break past that plateau. We can't right. get faster. We can't get, and I love watching people as we get older get faster. Isn't it awesome? Yes, it's sir. unbelievable. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, well, David, thank you uh, for sharing your story and, and taking the time to uh, share with our listeners and our yeah. audience of, of you. And, and, and I'm sure that they can relate to parts of what you've done. And I hope that our listeners don't put you are so high on the pedestal, hmm. you're, you're awesome, but they'll put you so high on the pedestal in comparison to themselves that they go, oh, I can't do that, and then they shut down. What you should be, what they should be doing is look what he's done. He's done these things to get there. What can I do? Uh, what of those pieces can I emulate? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, and again, I do appreciate that, um, you know, but in some instances, I also look at it too, you know, we're all working hard. 
you know, like I said before, those guys that are winning, guys and gals that are winning Leadville at less than six and a half hours, I don't think they're necessarily suffering any more or less than any of us right. out there. We're all suffering. So I don't think anybody in our class that we're going through is working any less than I am. We're all working hard. We're exactly. just all working at different levels. Yeah. Uh, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate all the things that you're doing as well. I am absolutely unequivocally a better athlete today at 58 and a half than I was at as at 50. And that's because of your guidance, your coaching, and your mentorship. So thank you. Thank you, David. Yes, sir. Thank you, David. That was a very good story. I like hearing all that. Um, very inspiring as well. It just has a young, well, somewhat young athlete, I guess. So, um, oh, wait, wait, wait. You keep telling me how old you are. You're an old guy right now. Yeah, I am. I am an old guy. I'm in my rocker. I need a rocking chair for this right. podcast. Yeah, we need, we, we, we need a rocking chair we, for our 26-year-olds. Yeah, we should get, yeah. We should yeah. get rocking chairs instead of these chairs. Well, I, man, you're 26 right now in a rocking chair. I can't imagine where you're going to be in 30. You know, it's it's funny because my <laughs> the recliner I sit at home, is a, I made sure it had the rocking feature. <laughs> <laughs> so I do that, that's in, probably good. Yeah, that's I do sit good. in the rocking chair at home. Um, but all this speed talk we're and – um, racing talk. We're going to do some competition here, David. Um, as I you know, know, we competitive, Paul? Oh, <laughs> we might be. We as might a be. listener, I know you've heard about our trivia section. Um, Paul took an L on the last one. Uh-oh. Paul took yeah. an L versus, on trivia on the last time, his first one. So let's see if you can make his uh, record even. Let's see if you can, you're two and one now. Keep the losing um, track going for him? Yeah, he's on a uh, get on a losing streak here. All right, we're going to have five questions. Other than me, what's the fastest land animal? <laughs> Leopard. Cheetah. Cheetah. Oh. Uh, uh, we're off to a rough start. Yes, we are. All right, here we go. What country is responsible for creating the Olympic Games? Greece. Greece. David was oh, first. Oh, look how fast and, you are. Yeah, you have to be See? quicker. It's like that commercial. So I've, trained, I've, trained, I've trained you well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yes, Sensei. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. What is the largest planet in our solar system? Pluto. Jupiter. Pluto? Pluto? I've watched a lot of cartoons. <laughs> yeah, okay. um, all right. Well, you've won. Yeah, that's three out of five. Yeah, like three. Oh, just keep going. We don't even have <laughs> yeah, to do, do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's see how. Let's see if I We're going to do the rest. Just if I get I stoked, like yeah. Um, oh yeah, that'd be the first. Oh. one. <laughs> All right. Here we go. What do you call it when a bowler makes three strikes in a row? Turkey. Oh, there he Ooh. here he comes. Let's no see. skunk. No <laughs> skunk. I got the turkey. At least make yourself look good here. All right. What's the national sport of Canada? Hockey. Incorrect. Curling. Nope. Cross-country ski. Nope. It is not a winter sport. Um, there could be a flag over there with it on the wall. Could could be on that. Could be <laughs> oh, on boy. Flag. Not a summer sport or not a winter sport. Nope. Lacrosse. Um, correct. It is lacrosse. Well, I would have never well, guessed. Hey, you still you got the last right, two. All right, two or three. Still lost. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> wow. The last two, but you still lost, but... Hey, you're on a losing streak. Absolutely. Yeah, maybe we need a quick guess. And, and sometimes, it's, and sometimes it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. Persevere. Bounce back. Persevere. I'll persevere. <laughs> all right. Here we go. We're going to go into the shout out segment. Um, I've, I meant to do this on the last one, but I wanted to shout out those new ten minute plank holders. Um, mm-hmm. They got added to the board. Um, so shout out to Sarah Ford, um, Chelsea Kingston on there, and then Caroline Paulus. I heard mm-hmm. you two had a battle on there. We did. Um, so we did. She's fun. incredible. Yeah, she and, and, is so David's incredible. already on the board. Right. Yep. David's already on that 10-minute plank um, board. So and then, and then There's someone else on the board, too. Who is that? Is that a Matt Deck? <laughs> Matt Oh, Deck. yeah. Matt's on there, too. <laughs> the man of steel. The man, the man of steel. Matt's on there, too. So, um, but shout out to all those new ones that have joined us on the board. Uh, Paul, anyone you want to shout out? Uh, no. Um, well, maybe. I want to go back to this 10-minute plank. So for our listeners, that board, we have several different uh, goals for some of our people and to to do a front plank for 10 minutes straight, you get your name on the board. And David and, and Carolyn um, were competing and battling during mm-hmm. this. And they, they're actually at 12 minutes, but they right. only get credit for 10. Yeah. Um, and everyone else is uh, joined on that. We do have some 20-minute planks. We have some 30-minute planks. We have a 40-minute plank up there, but you get to rotate right. and so forth in there. Right. Um, but the uh, shout-outs, I don't really have a, a, a great shout-out other than to try to encourage everybody during this time of year. This is when the uh, we've had a 
few weeks of the cold and it starts to get uh, dreary out and we're starting to get sluggish in, in that, in that uh, environment. We're waiting for some sun, we're waiting for some heat, we're waiting for that motivation. Uh, just encourage everybody to stay motivated and to keep persevering. For sure. David, anybody you want to shout out? Friends, family? Yeah, I, yeah as always, I'm not trying to get too uh, melodramatic dramatic about it. Um, certainly my wife, Sean. Okay. Um, I mean, she has been my partner in crime now for 35 years, 36 years, something. Even she loses track, so it's okay. Uh, <laughs> but a, a long dang time. And I, I'm always so appreciative of her because, I mean, there's nothing I could have accomplished in my life. And all the successes that I've had have been because of her and because of with her. I mean, awesome. There's just nothing I could have done without her. Yeah, no, awesome. Shout out to her. Um, well, good. Well, that's it for the shout out segment then, everyone. And that's it. Uh, for this episode of the podcast. So we were joined by wonderful athlete David Fisher. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will see you next week. Good to see you, everybody. See ya. Hey, everyone. It's Dre here. I just wanted to say thank you all for being patient with us and listening to the podcast. We greatly appreciate all your feedback and welcome it, as always. Don't forget to send me your questions so I can get those to Paul. We haven't had any in a while, so I just wanted to remind everyone Lastly, we just ask you that you leave a review, like, and share the podcast with your family and friends. Thank you all so much. We'll catch you on the next.